have your Bible or your notes tonight, we're in Philippians chapter 3, and we're going to be reading Paul's writing in chapter 3, verses 13 through 14. Now, the last session we had together, we read a little bit of this. There's a little bit of an overlap, so just kind of, you know, be okay with me as we kind of, we'll read certain chunks and then we may go back and, you know, uh, pick out a few of the scriptures and go through. Uh, but this is what we're doing tonight. Paul says this, he says, I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Tonight, we're going to focus on the heavenly prize, the heavenly prizes. Um, but before we do that, I just want it to be a reminder. When Paul says he forgets all that's past, contextually, what Paul's talking about, he's not talking about bad things from his past. He's not talking about hurt that he has experienced or persecutions. What Paul's talking about is all the good things in his life, all the ways that God has blessed him, his upbringing, and so many different things. And Paul just says, listen, as, as good as those things are, I'm forgetting that stuff because the prize that lies ahead is so much more glorious than anything I've ever experienced. And so as he says this, it kind of, you know, when you read things contextually, sometimes our mind, if, if we're not careful, our mind will default to interpret it a certain way. But when you read it contextually, sometimes it's totally different than what you had in mind. And so uh, Paul says, I forget all the good stuff. I look ahead to the glorious um, future that, that lies before me. And in the glory, what he's talking about is the heavenly prize that, that God has prepared. Now, I want to make this clear. Um, what Paul is talking about in this moment is the heavenly prize. It is Jesus, is the heavenly prize. That is specifically, most specifically, what Paul is talking about here, okay? He, he makes this case that, uh, you know, just as Jesus is, he is Lord over the lords of the earth, okay, or he's ruler over all the other rulers. Um, when we get to heaven, Jesus is the gift above every other gift, Okay. Now there are other gifts. We're going to talk about those, but Paul's intent, his focus is saying, listen, Jesus is the prize. Jesus is the prize to be able to gaze on him is the prize. So the heavenly prize is that God gives his, or God offers people the gift of salvation. Uh, John, the apostle would write this. He said, all who believed in Jesus and accepted him, he gave the right to become the children of God. Uh, Paul would write to the Romans, he said, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And so this is something that uh, cannot be earned, it cannot be attained in our own merit, in our own efforts, in our own want-tos or our sincerity or whatever the case is. It cannot, it is something that cannot be attained in our own efforts. It is only the grace of God, it is the free gift of God that we can receive and he gives it to us freely. Otherwise, it wouldn't be a gift. And God reserves the glory of being the gift giver. And so we want to make sure that we always honor him with that. Um, but the, the fascinating thing is this, is that have you ever seen those little dolls? They're, um, they're like, I think they're Russian dolls. And there's like a doll inside of a doll inside of a doll inside of a doll. That's the way that the gift of Jesus is. God gives us the gift of salvation right? But within the gift of salvation, there are other gifts, okay? There's, there's justification. He doesn't just say, well, I'm going to rescue you. He says, no, I'm going to clothe you in such a way 
It's as if when I look at you, you are so clean. It's as if you have never sinned or even pondered a sin. He says, I'm going to, to give you that. And not only that, I'm going you know, to adopt you into my family. In other words, I'm not just going to let you into my kingdom and say, well, you know, Justin can come on in, I guess. He kind of got in by the skin of his teeth. He says, no, that's my boy, right? This isn't, he's not just a, a person in the kingdom. He's a prince in the kingdom, right? So we're adopted. So it's these gifts within the gift of salvation. One of the, one, uh, the gifts that Paul specifically talks about here, um, a, a few verses later, is he's talking about the gift of glorification, Okay, now this is the idea that when we get to heaven, that all of our ailments, all of our human flaws and all of our, you know, our scars, all of these things are going to be glorified and we are going to be new creatures. We're going to be created into something similar that we are, but we're going to be different than we are, right? Uh, Paul says we are going to put on incorruption. In other words, we all live in this state of corruption. We can have sicknesses. We fall into sin and just on and on and on. We are living in corruption, but there's coming a day where we will no longer be able to be corrupted. Paul says you will be incorruptible. Listen to what, the way that John put it. John said this. He said, dear friends, we are already God's children. In other words, you're already saved, right? But he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears, but we do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. Paul would say a few verses later in uh, Philippians, he would say, God, uh, God in Christ is going to take us after death, when we cross that threshold of death, either through death or through rapture, we cross that threshold into the spirit realm. Um, what God is going to do is he's going to take what Paul calls our lowly bodies, okay, or our corruptible bodies. He's going to take something that's lowly and make it glorious, okay? That's why it's called the glorification. And so we're not exactly sure what that's going to look like, but that's one of the gifts inside the gift of Jesus. And it just goes on and on and on and on, and none of those things can be earned. None of those things, we can't pray enough and, you know, we're not going to get to heaven and the Lord's not going to be like, Becca, I love you so much, but you came up just a little bit short with glorification. So you got to kind of stay where you are, but all these other people, they're going to get glorified body. Sorry, Becca, I love you. You're, at least you're in heaven, you know? No, none of that. The Lord within the scope of Christ, there are all of these things that we all receive without merit. He just gives them to us because of his goodness. Okay, so Jesus is the heavenly prize, but there are a couple of other different levels of prizes or, um, or things that we are going to receive in the kingdom that, that I want to just kind of walk us through tonight, okay? Very quickly, I want to talk to us about earthly prizes, okay? Um, there are a number of things that God makes available, some to all people, some to just his people, but God makes some things available that... Um, although we can never earn salvation, there are certain prizes that we work to attain. Listen, when we get in heaven, there are going to be some who have a greater reward than others. I mean, that's scriptural. There's no way to get around it. And so the Lord gives us these ways through obedience to his word, through obedience to the spirit, you know, through all of these different ways that we can pursue um, different 
prizes, you know, and the true, that's true for heaven, which we'll talk about later, but it's even true on the earth, and, and we'll talk about a couple of those in a minute. But very first, let, let me mention this. Number one, God gives all people blessings in this life, whether they are the chief of sinners or whether they are, you know, Mother Teresa. God blesses all people with the gift of life. He gives breath. Uh, scripture says in Colossians that he holds all things together so that we can live and have our being. Um, God is so good that he even goes beyond that and he blesses people with intellect. He gives people the capacity to love. He gives people the capacity for emotions. He gives all people some level of natural gifting. This is why, um, you know, you can see some, somebody and they may hate God, but he has still blessed them as a part of his creation and they have the cognitive ability to be really good at art or teaching or singing or whatever the case is. That's nothing they have earned. It's only the goodness of God that he's just so good that he blesses all people. Um, many in the Reformed community, they would call it a common grace, meaning that everybody, there's no, whether you're a Christian, not a Christian, it doesn't matter, that God gives us all gifts because he is just that good, okay? But... After those of us who receive the free gift of salvation, God gives his people, specifically, not all people, but his people, the gift of the Holy Spirit in this life, okay? Following the gift of the Holy Spirit, God gives his people spiritual gifts that they can use in their life, okay? So the writers in scripture, they would say, Paul and Peter, they both said it. They said, listen, to, for every person who is a child of God, God has imparted to them at least one spiritual gift. And so that means if you're a Christian believer, you have a spiritual gift, at least one, probably more than that, but you have been blessed by God as a child of God with something that's in you. And this is what Paul says. He said, and it's not just for you, it's for the betterment of the body of Christ. And so he's saying, listen, I'm giving you these spiritual gifts, but they're not just for you, right? Don't be selfish with these gifts. But when you get this gift, I want you to share this gift with other people because it strengthens the body of Christ and it causes her to grow in maturity. And so, um, you know, they're all kind of different. You know, Paul talks about hospitality and leadership and generosity and the gift of mercy, the gift of faith, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy. There are just so many gifts that God, you know, kind of sprinkles throughout the body of Christ. And if you were a son or a daughter, you have at least one of those giftings. And so the question is, well, what are my spiritual giftings? And the follow-up question is, am I applying these spiritual gifts in helping the body of, of believers? Okay. Um, so, so God just, you know, he, he gives uh, the gift of life and some things to all people. But then for his children, he gives the gift of the Holy Spirit. And then he gives spiritual gifts. But then he gives us a very unique opportunity and God often gives his people rewards in this life for the things that they have done, okay? Now, this is the principle of sowing and reaping, okay? Paul talks about this in Galatians 6. Jesus talks about this at different points in his teaching. But it's the whole idea of this. Um, you know, we usually relate sowing and reaping to, we usually relate that to money because that's kind of what Paul is talking about. He says, listen, if you if you give to the work of God sparingly, then you're gonna reap sparingly. But if you give in abundance, God is gonna bless you in abundance. That's, that's the sowing and reaping principle. But the reality is this, sowing and reaping, does, it is not just relegated to money. Okay, sowing and reaping is about life. It's about, um, you know, I, when I sow honor into the life of another person, 
there is a guarantee that I am going to reap honor in my life, right? When I sow serving other people, there's a guarantee I'm going to be served in, in my life. You understand what I'm saying? So it's not just related to money. It's all of these different facets of the Christian life where God says, listen, if you will just sow in these areas, you will reap in these areas as well. It's a, it's a really beautiful thing, okay? So while salvation can never be earned, rewards can be earned. Rewards can be earned, okay? So there, there are three different things I want to say very, very quickly about rewards being earned, okay? Number one is this, is that God has given us the ability to earn rewards in this life, okay? Everything that I just talked about, the sowing and reaping in this life, God says, if you sow, you can receive and you will be rewarded in this life, okay? He also goes on to say, but there are some things where you can sow, 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 sow in this life, but you will not be rewarded in this life. You will be rewarded in the life to come. Okay, so there's some things I'm just going to be rewarded for in this life. You remember Jesus. I mean, it was kind of a derogatory thing, but he still is saying how good God is. He talks about, I think it's Matthew 5 or 6, where he's talking about people who, you know, they pray in front of everybody or they fast and they're just like, oh, I'm just doing it for the glory of God. Praise be to God. You know, and he's saying you're drawing attention to yourself. And this is what he says. He says, you have your reward. In other words, he's saying the, the attention that you have drawn to yourself and the glory that people have shown you, man, look at this guy. He's amazing. She does such incredible things for the Lord, such great sacrifices. That is your reward. But Jesus says this, he said, but there are some things that are reserved for your reward in heaven. So this is why he says, when you give, give in secret. When you pray, when you fast, do those things in secret. When you, when you do a lot of these things, you serve in all these capacities, do those things in secret. And the father who sees in secret will reward openly, which could be in this life or it could be in the next life. Okay. Now, finally, the third thing, there's some rewards that we receive in this life and in the next life. Okay, and that's amazing. I mean, that's just the sheer goodness of God. Okay, um, but but we need to understand that that we can earn rewards in this life. We can earn them in the next life. It's possible to receive both in in the life to come. So much of that has to do with the motivation of our hearts. Okay, now when we talk about the the earning of rewards, I want you to think about what Paul says to the church at Corinth. Okay. He, he, uh, he delineates, he, he creates a separation between the salvation of Christ that we cannot earn and the things that we can earn, okay? Listen to what he says. He says, for no one can lay any foundation other than the one we have, Jesus Christ. He's saying you're, the foundation of your salvation, you can't add to it. You can't do anything. Nobody else can do anything it was solely the work of Christ. He's talking about salvation. But then he goes on. He says, anyone who builds on that foundation, okay? So he's saying, when you're a Christian, you are to build upon that foundation. And he says, you may use a variety of materials, gold, silver, jewels, wood, hay, or straw. But on the judgment day, fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. In other words, why did we do the things that we did, Okay. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive what? A reward. 
right? So he's saying the gift of salvation, you can't, like, you can't contribute at all to the foundation, but you can't build on the foundation. And if your work survives, if your work is quality, your offering is sufficient, you will receive a reward in heaven. Paul said this to the Ephesians. He said, work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or whether we are free. Okay. Um, when we get to heaven, there are going to be a number of different judgments that happen. Okay, the Bible says that, you know, we're even going to judge angels, you know, at some point. And we believe that, that we're not sure if that really means, you know, uh, how angels did their work in our lives. What it probably means is we're going to judge the fallen angels, you know, the, the demonic forces. Um, they're, they're, anyway, they're, the sheep and the goats, there are going to be so many different levels of judgment. But the two primary that we hear most about, um, one is the great white throne judgment which is the judgment where those who are not believers are judged and then cast into the lake of fire, okay? But the other judgment is called the judgment seat of Christ. That judgment is reserved for believers. It's reserved. If you are a Christian, you will be at this judgment, but you will not be at the great white throne judgment. You don't want to be, I promise, okay? You don't want to be at that judgment, but you do want to be at the judgment seat of Christ, and so what the, the wording that, that Paul uses here, and you may have heard this before, uh, I know pastor's done some teaching on it, but you may have heard this. Um, Paul uses the word, the, the judgment seat of Christ. He's talking about this word, it's called the bema seat, okay? And what, it, what a bema seat is, it was this stone structure that had different layers and levels to it that you could kind of walk up on. And it was built for judges who would watch competitions, similar to the Olympic Games, you know, of, of that, that kind of era. They would, you know, four or five people, they would stand up at an elevated position so that they could watch those who were contending out there and they could give a proper judgment whether they really won or if they lost or if they cheated or whatever the case is. And once the race was over, the people would come before the Bema seat and the people on the Bema seat, they would give judgments. They would pass out judgments and those judgments would either be reward or they would be ridicule. Okay. So this is a photo of what one of the judgment seats looked like. This was found in Corinth. It was unearthed in Corinth. And as you can see, it has the different layers. This primary seat is the Bema seat, okay? But it, it wasn't necessarily just one person who was making all the judgments. Sometimes there would be others who would, who would fill the spot. But the point is, is that it is where the judge would sit at an elevated position to make a judgment on how the runners ran the race, right? So you can naturally make the connection. There's coming a day, Paul says, where Christ is going to sit on a Bema seat. And he has watched how we have run the race of faith. And he is going to make judgments and he's going to offer us rewards for how we have lived out this Christian faith. It's a really, really powerful imagery that we have here um, and one that should encourage us. It should be an encouragement to us. I do not believe, there are some that, that would disagree, but I do not believe this is going to be a seat of, of ridicule. Okay, I think this is primarily going to be a seat of reward and honor um, that the Lord is going to um, bring his judgments to us. So it should be very, very encouraging for us. Okay, so you're going to have that. But then, I, as I said, you're going to have the, the great white throne judgment, which is the judgment for sinners. And in the same way that Christians are going to receive varying levels of reward for, for how we've lived this life, 
the wicked will receive varying punishments for how wickedly they lived, okay? And when you say, well, what does that mean? I have no idea, okay? Um, you remember, or you may be familiar with um, um, the literary work Dante's Inferno, okay? Which is not a theological work, okay? It is not theology. It is not the Bible. Um, it's one man's imagination of how things could perhaps play out, but it's definitely not scripture. But he had a pretty wild imagination. He talked about nine like circles of hell and, you know, different layers meant different types of judgment. If you were like, you know, just a liar and you really didn't do anything, you know, too awful bad, but you didn't know Christ, you'd be up here and you'd just be infested with lice, you know, for all of eternity. And as you went down, maybe you were attacked by mice, you know, your whole life. Or um, he goes on down the thing when he ends up at the very bottom, shows uh, Lucifer, and it's, it's like the opposite of fire. He doesn't classify Dante's Inferno, at least the lowest level, uh, being like a lake of fire. What, what he classifies it as is like a frozen tundra. And so when you get to the end, like Lucifer isn't burning, but he is like frozen up to his neck in, in ice, and he is like, he's crying like for all of eternity because of the grip of, of death and sin. Um, and so again, very literary work. That's not how it's going to be. I'm just saying, I'm using that to illustrate that although that's not how it's going to be, there are going to be differing levels of, of punishment. You remember, I mean, Jesus said, he said, listen, it's going to be worse for you than it was for Sodom and Gomorrah on the day of judgment. Okay. And he, he uses that type of phraseology um, several times indicating that there are going to be more severe and less severe periods of judgment. Okay, for, for people and for nations. And so um, the Bema seat is one of those things. Um, now, I want to talk very, very quickly about heavenly prizes. Okay. Um, Pastor did a sermon on this probably four years ago where he went through and he talked about the different crowns that scripture talks about where we will receive, um, those of us who are believers, we have the opportunity to receive certain crowns. Um, in scripture, we only hear about five crowns, okay? His teaching, he kind of goes in depth. I'm not going to be able to do that tonight, um, but I want to encourage you to go back and listen. It's a very encouraging um, message. But I want to remind us that there are five crowns that, that we can receive, and I'll talk to you about the designations of them, um, and then we'll wrap up with a little bit of insight about other crowns, perhaps. Number one is this, is what we call the victor's crown, okay? Um, the victor's crown is also called the incorruptible crown, and it's basically this idea of people that were disciplined, people who lived lives that were fasted lives, lives of, uh, lives of self-denial, preferring others over themselves. Um, it carries the idea, the victor's crown, it carries this idea that the, this is a type of crown that's never going to decay, okay? Like it's an incorruptible type of thing but it's reserved for a certain type of person, okay? People who really are, are in, a, in a certain vein. Number two, we have what's called the crown of rejoicing, okay? Uh, Paul talks about this in 1 Thessalonians 2. This is primarily a crown for people who excel in soul winning, okay? And, and let me just say this. Um, you know, we are, we are all called on some level to be soul winners, okay? But... There are people who carry more of an evangelistic gift than other people carry. And that's okay. That's how God has wired certain. I don't think it's an excuse for us, right, not to share the gospel. 
but, I, but it is a difference in how God has wired us. And so when you see a person with a true gift of evangelism and you see them winning souls left and right, it's pretty, pretty confirmed in scripture. They're going to receive the crown of rejoicing because of all their work to bring in a harvest. Okay. Uh, number three, the crown of righteousness. Um, this has so much to do with, uh, Paul talks about um, the, it's reserved for those who, who long for the coming of the Lord right? Like there's something in their heart where they're just come Maranatha, come quickly, Lord Jesus. You know, they see all the, all the good in life, but they also see all the bad and they just say, Lord Jesus, we just long for you to come. You know, they, they, they long for his appearing. It's for those who, who walk in deep fellowship with the Lord. There's like a real intimacy with Christ in this life. And out of that intimacy flows this desire to see Jesus come quickly, right? Um, so that's the crown of righteousness. Uh, the crown of life, uh, James, the brother of Jesus, talks about uh, this. It's also mentioned in Revelation 2. Um, the crown of life is reserved for those who have gone through incredible difficulty, but they have overcome the difficulty, right? So, and when I say overcome, I need to qualify because this is a crown that would be for those who were persecuted, whether they lived or died, but also for those who were like martyrs, okay? And you may look at a martyr and you say, well, they didn't really overcome martyrdom. Well, I, I believe that every martyr is an overcomer of evil. They, they just went out in a different way than the rest of us are going to go out. But the fact that they did not bow the knee right, is an indicator that they are victorious, that they are overcomers. And so this is for those who are just um, really wired to persevere. They are just going to, they are going to be steadfast. They're going to stand strong. Um, They're going to be overcomers. They're going to persevere, especially when it costs them something. Okay. That's the crown of life. And then finally, Peter talks about the crown of glory. The crown of glory is typically um, reserved for um, those in leadership within the body of Christ. Okay, so this is like teachers, shepherds, pastors. This may be life group leaders, just people who are really called and gifted to nurture and to mature the body of Christ. Uh, They are going to receive the crown of glory. Okay, so those are the five that we kind of see in scripture. Again, pastor went a lot more in depth and detail. I would encourage you to find that on, uh, on our website. But I want to say this, out of those five crowns, there are some scholars that, that may suggest if you start reading and digging in, there are some, some people that suggest that these crowns are really just, um, they're talking about the salvation of God and the different like views of the salvation of God. And though I understand what they're saying, I, I think that's a reduction of what it actually is. Okay, and I may be wrong. We may get to heaven and they may be right, but I, I really don't think so. There are enough specific things spoken about these five crowns that make me believe that this, this is an actual thing, you know, for, for the body of believers. And so we are really looking forward to that in eternity. But I want to say this, and this is just a mere personal opinion. You can throw this out on your way out. Um, but I believe that there's probably going to be other crowns. I think that God in his goodness, um, I mean, if you just think about the number of gifts that God has given to a rebellious planet, right? And you think about the number of, just think about the spiritual gifts. There, there are you know, so many spiritual gifts just on and on and on that God has freely given us. I would be shocked, and it could be, but I would be shocked if there were only five crowns in heaven. 
I mean, those may be the five primary you know, tokens that, that we would want. But I think God in his goodness, he's so creative, he's so loving and good that, that he is going to make more rewards and more prizes for us in heaven. I think it's gonna be glorious beyond the prizes that we receive like in a, in a physical sense. Scripture implies that, that heaven is gonna be like a functional society, okay? Um, Jesus talks about this in, in Luke 19 a little bit, okay? Or at least he implies that, that there is gonna be a type of functioning society. Um, I think the book of Revelation gives this idea that, that there is going to be a role. It kind of eliminates the thought that we're just gonna get in heaven and like we're gonna be in the throne room, the throne room like chilling, watching all these creative beings and we're gonna jump into worship, but we're just gonna do that for all of eternity. Um, God is a God of progress, um, God is a, a God of, you know, society. You look within the Trinity, there is, the, there is, a, there is a society within the Trinity. You know, it's, it's, a, it's a social society, but there's a relational society within the Trinity. And, and so I think a case can be built that when we even get to heaven, that based on how we live this life, we are going to have roles and we're going to have responsibilities when we get into heaven. Um, Jesus, as he's talking here, you know, he's, he's using what, what most believe is a parable, but he's saying, listen, because you were faithful over this, I'm going to make you ruler over a city, right? So as the, um, as the new Jerusalem comes into play, as earth is renewed, there are going to be cities in, in the new heaven and the new earth. And I believe that we're going to have roles and responsibilities. Like I said, throw that out the door if, if you don't like it. Okay. Um, but let me just say one quick word. Uh, before we uh, wrap up this segment, uh, let me give you a, a very quick word on the idea of envy and jealousy in heaven, okay? Because most normal thinking would lead you to say, well, you know, if Pastor Justin, he receives three crowns, but I only got like a fragment of a crown, right? Um, if Pastor Justin has three and I only get a fragment, or let's say that Pastor Justin's ruler over a city, but I only have like a little hut that I'm in charge of, you know, when we get to heaven. Um, Lord, is that gonna like stir up jealousy? How am I not gonna be envious of something like that? <coughs> Excuse me. And I just wanna, I wanna make mention of this. Number one, envy is a sin, okay? Jealousy is a, like, like the, the wrong version of jealousy. God is jealous for us, okay? And that's a proper sin. I mean, that's not a sin. That's a proper emotion. In the same way that I'm jealous for my wife, I don't want her running after a, a lover, okay? I'm jealous for her, but I'm not jealous of her. God is not jealous of us, okay? But he is jealous for us. He wants our love. He wants our affection, but the wrong type of jealousy, which is what I just described, well, I wish I was like Pastor Justin and would have had more crowns or more whatever the case may be, um, the presence of sin in that way is not going to exist in heaven, okay? Um, listen to what Jonathan Edwards said about this. He said, every vessel that is cast into this ocean of happiness is full. In other words, every person that steps into heaven they are going to be filled up to their capacity. Though there are some vessels far larger than other vessels, and there shall be no such thing as envy in heaven, but perfect love shall reign throughout the whole society. Okay? So the best way that I can, in my 
you know, I read Edwards and I'm like, this man is a wordsmith. He is a master with description. So I'm going to give you the dumbed down version, okay, of um, the way that I think. In the same way that you may have a favorite sports team or a favorite player or a favorite author or a favorite vocalist or whatever the case is, when you go to their concert, when you go to their book signing or you go to their games, any time that they win, you feel like you are winning. You stand up and cheer, you may worship the team more than you worship the Lord Jesus. You know what I'm saying? I mean, it's just like such a, such a you know, you're, you're, you feel so a part of what's going on that every single time they score, you feel like you've scored, right? I believe that's what it's gonna be like in heaven. I believe there's gonna be such a brotherly and such a sisterly love that when we see someone that has far exceeded and when they receive their reward, we're gonna feel like we're the ones receiving the reward and we're gonna clap and we're gonna applaud. There's gonna be no place for jealousy, no spot for envy, but we are gonna join in the celebration and it's gonna be a glorious time. I'm looking forward to it. Amen, amen.